Thank you so much. I think Hadley found out her mic wasn't on and she decided I'm done. They won't give me a real mic. I appreciate them. Maybe if it's possible, they can sing again tonight if they're all here. Uh, that was a great blessing. In our Bible, God spends a lot of time uh, teaching us about great men of God. We read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. On Sunday evenings, we're in a series about the life of Joseph. We read about Moses and David and Samuel, the Apostle Paul and the other apostles and Timothy. And the list goes on and on. The ones who were the generals out there leading the battles, uh, the ones that are leading the people to walk around the walls of Jericho and, and uh, the ones who were breaking the bread and, and the fish for the, the multitudes of people. And we read about them, but if we're not careful, we'll miss out that in the word of God, God every now and then shines the spotlight on a lady. You see, ladies can be great people of faith. In fact, ladies ought to be as much a person of faith as any man that walks the planet. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11, the great hall of fame, God takes some time and he also mentions some ladies of tremendous faith. And one of the ladies in the Bible that every year at Mother's Day, I take some time and I go back and read her story is this lady by the name of Hannah, a remarkable woman of such great, great faith. Hannah lived in a difficult time. The nation of Israel, they were God's people, had lost their spiritual moorings. They had drifted so far away from God. They were worshiping idols and false gods and goddesses and the tabernacle set up in a place called Shiloh was virtually unused. Only a handful of the faithful would make their journey there in Hannah's day. The Bible says in Hannah's lifetime that the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Now, I think the Bible's a precious book. I own hundreds of books, but there's none of them that I love like I love the Bible. I have books written by some tremendous wise individuals, but this is the only one that was written by God. This is a precious book, but when the Bible says the word of the Lord was precious in those days, it means it was rare. It was rare. People rarely heard from God. It seems that people rarely even opened what Bible they had to see what God had already told them. And this is the world in which Hannah lived. It was a world where sin was more prevalent than holiness. It was a world where the false gods were more popular than the one true God. Yet in the midst of this, here was this remarkable lady that, that hung onto her faith in the God of the Bible. She never relaxed that even for a moment. In her personal circumstances, she had a difficult time of it. Her husband was a good man, I believe a godly man. His name was Elkanah. Elkanah, for some reason, had two wives. Hannah was one of them. The other was a gal named Peninnah. Peninnah wasn't the nicest of ladies, somewhat of a shrew. In those days, if a lady could not give birth, she was looked down upon. She was considered that God must have judged her and, and cursed her in some way. And wasn't a fair judgment. It was just the way the culture viewed things. Well, Hannah had no children and Peninnah had many children. Boy, did she rub it in. 
She saw Hannah as her rival. And so in the home, there was this constant butting of heads that went on. And by the way, he said, why did he have two wives? I don't know. I have no idea. It makes no sense. It was somewhat of a legal loophole. It wasn't God's best, but God allowed it in Israel in those times. And that's just the way that it was. Every year, Elkanah, this is why I say he was a godly man. He would take his family to Shiloh where the tabernacle was. Most people abandoned that, but not this man. By the way, thank, thank God for godly men who lead their home in a godly manner, even if nobody else is. Elkanah was one of those men. They would go to Shiloh every year and they would make their offerings to the Lord and so forth. And part of the, the time at Shiloh would, be, Shiloh would be feasting and reminiscing about how good God had been in the previous year and, and praising the Lord and so forth. But while they were at this feast, I don't know what it was about Panina. She just decided to rub it in. She said, yep, God's been good to me. I've got a brand new baby. How many do you have? And Hannah had none. And the pain was just getting deeper and deeper as the years rolled by. And as our text opens up, she's at Shiloh and, and uh, she couldn't find much to rejoice about. Have you ever been there? You, just, you, you know God's good, but your heartache and your burdens just seem to overshadow that. And there she is. And it's supposed to be a time of reflection and, and rejoicing in the goodness of God, looking forward to his promised salvation uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And she's just weeping and crying. The rest of the family is off at the feast and she is kneeling there at the entrance to the tabernacle. It was like an ornate tent. It had one opening, one door, and she's evidently kneeling outside of there, and she's just pouring her heart out to God. She's crying as she prayed. Her prayers are so deep and personal and intense that no words were coming out, no audible words. Now, her lips are moving, but the tears are choking up the words that comes out, and so you just have this lady in this emotional turmoil, and she's praying. Verse 11, we read it. We'll start at verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul. Many of us in this room have been to such a place. And that was Hannah and prayed unto the Lord. By the way, when you're in bitterness of soul, there's nothing better to do than pray unto the Lord. Amen. Getting bitter at other people isn't going to fix you. Getting mad at God isn't going to help you. Blaming your problems on the rest of humanity won't help you. She prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou would indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but would give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. So there she is praying. We have the content of her prayer because the Holy Spirit heard it. Isn't it a wonderful thing that sometimes when we pray and maybe we're, we're at work and we're praying, but it's in our heart because others are around us, or maybe we're like Hannah and we're praying and the, the, the ache and the pain is so deep, the words don't come out. Isn't it wonderful that God knows? Amen. He hears every silent word that we lift up to him. And God recorded those words for us and we see her prayer and of course, Eli, the priest at the time came by and he saw her praying and he noticed her lips are moving and she's sobbing. The Bible said wept sore, not just a tear trickling down her face. She is sobbing convulsively. This is a rough moment. 
and he looks at her and he just automatically assumes that she's drunk. Be careful about presuming that you know what is in the heart of anybody else beside yourself. Be careful in setting yourself up as the judge of where everyone else is with the Lord because Eli was dead wrong. You have no idea what God's doing in someone else's heart, so the best thing for you and I to do is stay out of their heart. Eli judged her, thought she's drunk, and he rebukes her, and he's adding insult to injury, and she said, no, no, my Lord, I'm a, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. Now her words are coming out. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord, and she defends herself, and Eli, very graciously and wisely, takes that rebuke and realizes, ma'am, I'm sorry, I judged you wrongly. And he said, I don't know what it was that you are praying about. I, I don't know what it was that you're taking before the Lord. But as the priest, he said, I'm, I'm asking the Lord right now to answer your prayer and to bring whatever it is to pass. Of course, the Bible tells us that she went home with her husband. And within the next year, she gave birth to a little boy by the name of Samuel. A little boy named Samuel. When she was praying that day, she just wanted a son. She just, her heart yearned for that. She had no idea that God was going to more than just give her a son, but that son was going to be used of God in such a remarkable way that two of the books of our Bible bear her little baby boy's name. Samuel would turn the nation of Israel back to the word of God. For the first time in an entire generation, here was a little boy that was listening to God, hearing God's voice, sharing what God said. And everybody began to realize Samuel knows God and Samuel walks with God and Samuel's speaking for God and the nation, they began to turn back to God. He would lead their armies out into victory against the Philistines. Samuel would anoint not the first, but the first two kings of Israel, including David, upon whose throne the Lord Jesus Christ will rule and reign for all of eternity. It was the boy she prayed for. I'm so glad that I serve a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You think that you're praying for something very small or normal right now, but you have no idea what God can do with that. Don't stop your praying. Pray in faith and pray faithfully because that was Hannah. I want you to understand a few things about Hannah and her little boy. I've already stated a whole bunch about my first point. Hannah prayed for her son. She prayed for her son. It appeared physically impossible for her to have one. And there have been many ladies found themselves in such a place. It's a hard place to be. And her only hope was for a miracle. She's not the first in the Bible. Sarah could not have a child until God worked a miracle in her life. And she had her firstborn child at the age of 90. I can't even imagine that. I'm just like, you go girl. I, you know, it's just not, not, but, but it was a miracle. And, and, uh, then Rebecca also had the same thing. And Rachel had the same problem. Um, uh, Samson's mom had the same issue and could not bear a child. John the Baptist's mother had the same thing. And she was um, uh, given a miracle baby when she was well stricken in years. So 
Hannah was not the first, but she prayed for her, ch her child. Now listen carefully. If you read the next two chapters of 1 Samuel, chapters 1 and 2, I know she prayed for God to give her a son, but I also believe from the depths of my heart she prayed for more than that. I, prayed that, I believe she prayed that God would guide her son, that he would guide her son. Lord, lead him right. Don't let him take the wrong steps. Don't let him fall in with the wrong crowd because the wrong crowd abounded in their culture. I believe she prayed for God to guide her son. I believe she prayed that God would guard her son. I mentioned waking up many times at night and finding Trina out in the living room with her Bible open on her lap at one or two or three in the morning. And she would name one of our children and just tell me that she had a particular burden for them. She's always praying, especially when they left the house and they were off to college and things for God to guard, put a hedge about them. God put a hedge about Job and about all that he had. And when, when God said, hast thou considered my servant Job that there's none like him in all the earth? Satan said, well, sure, Job serves you. Thou hast put a hedge about all that he hath. Now, how did, how did uh, Satan know that there was, we'll call it a force field. There was something around Job that he was protected. How did Satan know that? He tried to get to him. He tried to get to him. I believe because of what we know about Hannah, she didn't just pray, God, give me a son, and hey, thanks, God, and I'm off on my merry way. I believe that she prayed for the rest of his life, the rest of her life with him, that God would guide and guard him. You say, how do you know that? I based that a lot on verse 11. Can you look at me, look at with me again? We're going to pick it up in the middle. But we'll give unto thine handmaid a man child. If you'll do that for me, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And look at this last phrase, and there shall no razor come upon his head. She was giving her child to God as a Nazarite. The Nazarites were a group of Jewish people who were specifically dedicated to the service of God. She was promising God that that little boy would grow up as a Nazarite. Nazarites did not drink any wine. They ate no fruit of the vine whatsoever. They drank no strong drink. They came in contact with no dead bodies. They lived an extremely separated life. As Hannah is praying for her child, she's not just praying, God, give me one, but God, guide him. I want him to live for you, which brings me to a second aspect of Hannah and her boy. She didn't just pray for him. She purposed for her son. She purposed for her son. She wanted something spiritual and remarkable for her little boy. The Bible says in Psalm 127, verse one, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain, you need God in your home. And I'm talking about more than rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub kind of God. I'm talking about the kind of God in Deuteronomy chapter six, that you talk about him and his words as you're walking by the way, when you rise up in the morning and right before you go to bed at night and everywhere you go, you're talking to your children about the Bible and the God of the Bible and the things of God. You need God in your home. You need that. And Hannah realized that. She said, God, give me a boy 
and I'm going to give him unto you all the days of his life. She purposed for a son. I don't know if it's on anymore. I don't, I don't watch much of what you might call network television. I'm not much into reality shows, uh, so-called and so forth. But some years ago, there was a, some type of a show on that was about uh, little girls whose parents, mostly their moms, were grooming them to be beauty queens. How many know what I'm talking about? I don't know the name of it. I read a lot of articles about it. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't even try to watch any of that, but we're, we're talking little girls, some of them four, five, six years old starting out, and their moms are obsessed with their daughter growing up someday to be Miss America or Miss Universe or Miss Mars or whatever it is, and, and their entire life revolves around the grooming of their child, and you got four and five and six-year-old little girls uh, wearing lavish different types of makeup, exotic, provocative costumes. Uh, they're spending hours taking dance lessons and baton lessons and gymnastics and, and, and speaking lessons and all this. And it goes on for years and years and years because these parents, they, they have an obsession. I want my daughter to be a beauty queen. I'm not going to say that's a sinful thing, but it's a waste of a life. It's a waste of a life. Somebody said beauty skin deep, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. It's better to teach your daughter to have character and to love God and to walk with God and to serve God. Amen. Hannah had a purpose for her son. I want my son to live for God. She didn't say, I want my son to be a doctor, though there's nothing wrong with having such a goal for your child. She didn't say, I want my son to follow in his father's footsteps, whether that's a carpenter or a lawyer or a mechanic or, 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 or anything like that. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Her goal was, I want my son to live for God. Amen. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to, to raise financially successful children. Right. It does tell us to raise godly ones. Amen. There's nothing wrong if, a, if one of her kids grow up and they become millionaires. I wish one of mine had so I'd know where to go when retirement comes and I can mooch off of them the way they've mooched off of me for the last 40 years. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that's necessary. Our goal for our children has to be bigger than a career. It has to be bigger than a skill and a talent. It has to be, I want my child to live for God. Because understand this, your child can become the next billionaire, but when they die, it all stays behind. Only one life so soon will be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. She had a purpose for son. I want my son to live for God. He'll be a Nazarite all the days of his life. Now, we understand something. We can't make our children love God. Wouldn't it be nice if we could? We can't make them get saved. We can't make anybody get saved. Brother Earl did not make his dad get saved. He tried a lot and got shut down badly. I guarantee you, if you could have forced him to get saved, you'd have done it. I'm so glad you didn't have to. Ken Dar had to choose for himself under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to get saved. It's true with every single one of us. We can't make our kids get saved. I can't make my grandchildren get saved. Tommy, my eight-year-old, he is now Mrs. Reamer's friend. They decided that this morning. So Tommy's, Tommy's got a new friend. In Mrs. Remus, I saw him just sitting down having a conversation with her today. 
I don't know where Tommy's understanding is about spiritual things. I don't know. It's hard to figure out. He can recite facts. He's a bright little boy, but sometimes putting together the comprehension's not there. I don't know what God has planned for Tommy's life. He is fearfully and wonderfully made. And that my soul knoweth right well. God's got a purpose for his life. But I want that little boy to understand Jesus loves me, this I know. And that Christ died for him and why Christ died for him. I want that little boy saved. I go to train every Monday and Friday at a place in Meriden. It's a massive, massive building. And there are several organizations that work in there with special needs adults. Tomorrow morning, I'll be there sitting, waiting for Sam to get there. I'm usually there 20 minutes early and I'll watch cars and van loads of them come by and they'll wave and we'll chat and, and just sweet and, and delightful people. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching them going and, and in my heart, I'm realizing, you know, maybe one day Tommy will be working there. I don't know what God has planned for him. I just want him to go to heaven someday. I want him to be saved. Hannah had a purpose for her son that was bigger than the dollar amount he would make in his chosen profession. I want my son to live for God. Moms and dads, it's fine to point your child to know their talents, to know their concerns, interests, and all that kind of stuff and help them find a path and a career. That is fine. I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying don't do that. But can I tell you that more important than that path is the path of righteousness. And you can't force them to choose Christ as Savior. You can't, choose, you can't force them to choose Christ as Lord either. But God can do a work in our children's hearts, even if they stray. You do understand the prodigal son came home. And God loves prodigals. I know people that love to tramp on prodigals. God loves them. Can I tell you this? If there's a prodigal, then you pray even more because he's able to do exceeding abundantly. She prayed for her son. She purposed for her son. There's the last thing I want you to notice. She practiced what she preached to her son. You're in chapter one if your Bibles are still open of 1 Samuel. She had the child, verses 19 and 20. Verse 21, the man Elkanah, that's her hubby, and all his house went up to offer the Lord unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow, but Hannah went not up. She's got a newborn baby boy there. And she said her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. This is an age in which the child can function quite a bit on his own, maybe five, four, five, six years old, something like that. And then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. Now she promised God, you give me a son and I'll give him to you. So she's holding her son. It's time to go up to Shiloh to the tabernacle and she says, I'm not going. She's holding her son. She's got her answer to prayer. It's amazing to me how many times God does what we need him to do. God answers our prayer and it's, yeah, thanks God. And then we go on our merry way. Boy, God, I, I, I need your help financially. And then God provides and thanks God. And then we're, we're not there. I've seen people become so faithful to church, so faithful to their Bible when they're in crisis. And the minute the crisis passed, they're gone again until the next one. Hannah almost looked like that, didn't she? 
Oh, Candy said, are you coming with me? No, no, I'm not going up. I'm not going to go up. But she did say when, when the child's older, you know how, you know how we are someday, someday I'll get saved. Yeah. Someday I'll get involved. Someday I'm going to witness someday I'm going to live for God. And it almost sounds like that. And she said someday, but look at verse 23 and O'Kane, her husband said unto her, do what seemeth thee good. Tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. He wasn't judging her. He took her answer. He knew her heart. He said, you do what you need to do. I understand that. He said, and, and, and when he said the Lord established his word, he's saying, Hannah, you made a promise to God. You need to keep that. Thank God for some men that are willing to take a stand for righteousness in their home. Samuel didn't just have a godly mom. He had a godly dad. Had a godly dad. And then they came, verse 24, when she'd weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks, one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh and the child was young. They slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli and she said, oh my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. This going years before, he may have forgotten all about it. For this child I prayed and the Lord hath given me my petition which I ask of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he, Samuel, worshiped the Lord there. Now I want you to understand, she's got her little boy in tow. Maybe like Nathan, my grandson, who stood up here singing this morning. Little boy like that. She prayed for this kid. She thought she'd never have one. And there he is. And there he is. In those days, travel took a long time. Where they lived, it was, uh, you went once a year to Shiloh. It was that far away. You, you didn't go every weekend. Once a year. She brings her little boy and brings him to the priest, who, by the way, a few years before thought she was a drunk, and said, this is the boy I prayed for. And I promised God that day, if he gave me this boy, I would give him back. And he would serve God all of his life. And here's some supplies to take care of him till I see him next year. And she handed off her little boy to Eli the priest. And turned around and went home and wouldn't see him for another year. No pictures, no Zoom calls, a year. How many moms could do that with your little child? Like my grandson, Nathan. How many moms honestly think you could do that? As a dad, it'd break my heart. It'd break my heart. But you see, Hannah loved her God more than she loved her little boy. Amen. And she knew that her God would take perfect care of that little boy. And you realize when she passed him off, I don't know how much Samuel understood as a child. It had to have been hard for him. I kind of think there were some tears. 
I kind of think Elkanah was probably crying some tears. I think it was a lonely walk home. And Samuel's got to adjust to an entirely new life, revolved around the, the tabernacle and the service of the Lord. And from morning to night, he just worships the Lord and he just serves the Lord. But in the back of his mind, as he gets older, I have a mama who kept her promise to God. I have a dad who lived for God. I have parents who prayed. I have parents who walked with God. Is it any wonder when that little boy grew up that God was able to use him to turn an entire nation back to God? Because Samuel could turn around and say, my mom and dad were the real deal. Studies are abounding, and I'm done with this, about why millennials, you've heard of that age group, are fleeing churches all over the country. Interviews and polls and all types of things are taken. The number one answer, the number one reason that millennials are walking away from church is because of what they saw at home compared to what they saw at church. They saw mom and dad at church singing and smiling and acting and doing all the things they should, and then they saw them at home living another life. Moms and dads, it's not the church's job to raise your children. It's not the school's job to raise your children. It's not the youth pastor's job. It's, it's ours as parents. It's yours as a parent. Samuel didn't get to stay at home as long as our kids do. You know, they stay at 18, and then we're like, please, Lord, Help him find somebody. Lord, I need my basement back, you know, at 35 or 40 or whatever. Um, Samuel didn't get to have all that time at home. He would have brothers and sisters. God blessed Hannah with more children, I think five of them. Samuel wouldn't grow up with his siblings, but Samuel grew up with this reality in his life. My mom and my dad are real. And they love God and they obey God no matter what. Is it any wonder he was imprinted so deeply in his faith? May God grant us as moms, as dads, as grandparents, the kind of faith and faithfulness of Elkanah and this precious lady, Hannah. If you have a mom that Hannah describes her in a lot of ways, Oh, you thank God for her. You thank God for her. you have been blessed in a bigger way than you'll ever understand. Can we pray together this morning? How many are here today and you say, Pastor Bishop?